addressed this publicly on the podcast already. I do drink White Claws uh, from time to time. Or I'll just, you know what, Tom, edit that out. I drink hard seltzers from time to time. Um, if Brand there's, non-specific. If there's any, well, I don't know if they have, like, I don't know if they, I guess you don't brew seltzer. If there's, like, independent-run seltzeries out there that want to endorse, that want to they want to send me a bunch of free seltzers from their seltzery. Uh, I'll be happy to what, what or like their seltzatorium. What would you call a seltzer maker? Like a seltzatorium? I think that's a, if if that's not what they called, I think they should start calling it that because that's a really good fucking word for it. I'm picturing the room in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where there's all the bubbles and they float up to the ceiling perilously and they have to burp. And uh, well, you heard that garbage trucks are honking in, in real time. In real time, hold on, let me see if we can capture this audio. Okay, that was real time. The garbage truck in front of Big Will's podcast studio at an undisclosed location in Huntington Station, New York. This is so reckless right now. This is the Heavy Hole podcast. This is the first episode of the new year, and we're ringing it in right, um, drinking and in chaos right now. Um, I'm Big Will, aka Uncle Buck, with the M- with the Amstel light over there, like he's flexing on me for drinking hard seltzer. Dave Gladding, my co-host this evening. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. I'm drinking. I got this shit for free, so it's <laughs> it's better than just about anything. I can't really, you know, it's it's wet and it's got alcohol in it, so it's good to be, good for me. I'm gonna say this now for the new year for 2023. We will we will promote and drink any beverage uh, that wants to within reason that wants to um, send us. I will some drink free any stuff. beverage without a reason. Yeah, heavy so, whole, heavy whole pot. Yeah, one of the co-hosts will drink it if I if I don't drink it. it that's for if, sure. If you got like grappa, you want to uh, promote on the podcast? Yeah, gra- uh, I won't like it, but I'll drink it. I've done it in the past. Grappa, coffee. I'm thinking too. Tea, whatever you got. If you got like stuff for the cats and the dogs, send it our way in 2023. We'll talk about it on the on the podcast. Yeah, that, like can- canned cat milk or something like that. Or yeah, well, whatever. I, I I got a little guy over here, man. He'll take care of that. Yeah, I don't think the I don't think the milk comes from cats, but it's for cats. Yeah, I hope that, it's, I hope it doesn't come from cats. That would be weird, Dave. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that, man. That was I would not drink that. What well, be, you're, yeah, you're drinking the Amstel Light. How how this is the first episode of the new year. How have your holidays been, sir? Uh I gotta I gotta say I had some some okay holidays. You know, nothing uh, nothing like you know remarkable. Like the, the kids were sick, so we didn't do shit for Christmas. Uh yeah, you know, no, like I spent my days like putting together Legos. Mm-hmm assembling lego kits for the kids and shit but you know i didn't me and the wife didn't get anything for ourselves so that's kind of how it goes but uh how about you do you do anything good well wait here's the real question um all the best to your family did you spend money on vinyl for yourself oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, i mean that that yeah that goes without saying like i i just i i put in i i got a i got an order from 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 p2 Thank you, Paul and Paulo and Peron. And uh, I think I'm actually going to make another one pretty soon because there's some more stuff that I wanted to get that I kind of overlooked. Hmm. So, uh, but that doesn't count. That's just sort of like regular, like maintenance spending. You know, what did you procure? Oh, I got, I got some good stuff. I got the, uh, oh, 
mangled torso record. Yes. Uh, I forget what yeah. the name of it is. One with the blue with the blue cover. Dreaming with the dead. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a double, double LP. It's fucking fantastic. I pre-ordered that from the label, so we were waiting in anticipation months and months for that to come out because it came out much later than it was supposed to because of the vinyl delay. Yeah, good. I haven't opened it yet. Yeah, the uh, like I, I was very pleased with the vinyl. I actually just listened to it today. I um, I, I listened to it. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I love it. we got we got the dog making its second yeah. appearance on Heavy Hole Podcast, first of the new year. Yeah, you know, hey, hey, just to show everybody that nothing's changed. The, the new year doesn't change anything, you know. I spent but, uh, I spent the day after Christmas taking uh, my mother and her 16-year-old dog. Um it's one of those little puffy poodle mix dogs to to the vet and it's we I really thought there was a chance the dog might not come home uh alive. Uh, we'll leave it at that. The dog comes home with eye drops and some pills. Now he's kicking. Um, so God, God bless that man of a dog. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's the thing with pets, man. Is they like like one day they they seem like they're on like death's door, and then the next day it's like nothing happens. They're yeah, just like yeah, you know. But uh, I'm glad that your mom's dog, uh, you know, survived. And I'm glad so, that your so dog died another day. I'm glad that your dog sounds robust in the background, uh, ringing in the new year. So the mangled torsos, you were saying. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, it uh, the vinyl sounds really good. You know, I, I listened to it a few times previously on like I think probably YouTube, like a YouTube stream or something like that, and I was like, oh, it sounds fine. It's like you know, it's kind of like a lo-fi death metal kind of release, but it sounds really good on the on a on the vinyl. It's definitely worth picking up. Hell yeah, man. Um. Now we're talking about old school reissues. We're talking about vinyl. Uh, you procured a recommendation that we're going to get into later. That is like the real gritty, low end, uh, uh, brutal, disgusting old school. Somebody who knows a little little thing or two about reissuing old school vinyls and 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 even modern brutal, guttural, sick, sloppy, crazy death metal and all that sort of thing is none other than tonight's guest, Dave Mickelson of Extremely Rotten Productions. Uh, un- Una Gang, I, I hope I said that right. We're gonna clear it up with him um, and many other bands. We're gonna we're gonna get all all the way down to it with him, man. I'm gonna get him on the horn right now. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than David Mickelson, um, multi-instrumentalist, visual artist, business owner, uh, very prolific death metal uh, artist and and fan in his own right. Welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast, and thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, Will. Happy to be here. Yeah, man, it's it's been um uh we, we we there was a little bit of back and forth trying to set this up. People know that we're both uh, involved in a lot of different projects and busy guys, so it was great that we could finally set this up, man. And um, wasting no time and being respectful of your time, the typical heavy hole podcast question is: Are you from a musical family? 
Were there any musicians older than yourself and your family or anyone that steered you towards heavy metal and hard rock music? Towards music, in a way. That wasn't really from any of the older generations, but my brother was heavily into musicals. So he uh, he wanted me to play the piano and stuff like that when I was younger, which I didn't like. He also wanted me to play football, which I also didn't like. So I guess I pretty much had to find out on my own. I just, it, it kind of came a little bit late. My mom passed when I was 10. It wasn't really till after that that I decided, well, I had not decided, but I discovered music and kind of like got a little bit forced into finding out what life was about and what I liked and stuff like that. So it kind of came from that, I guess, from listening to radio, watching MTV and seeing some of the older kids at school that look cool with their long hair. <laughs> and I have to quickly credit, I always credit my research um, of course, Metal Archives, which goes without saying, but um, uh, Jake's Metal Chat YouTube channel, Ever Flowing Stream YouTube channel, and Death Metal Podcast YouTube channel all have interviewed you uh, in the last few years, I'd, I'd say. So I got some of my, my information from there, and I try not to make you repeat the same stories. I do know that at some point you're talking about the older kids with the, with the long hair and that sort of thing. You were exposed to um what was it morbid angels where the slime live it was kind of like your your indoctrinating yeah, death well, metal experience yeah i'm a bit of a younger guy so that was the first death metal song i ever heard no turning back okay and like i said i don't want to make you repeat yourself compared to other interviews but could you just you know i'm i'm from new york long island i've never been to europe man maybe just paint a picture what it was like for you as a teenage metalhead are you are you originally from copenhagen nah, i moved here when i was uh, in my late teens okay so uh, let i'm from i'm from a small, small city there Let's start there because um, obviously I don't know the significance of that. Are you from more of a rural area, an urban area? Was it more difficult to be exposed to heavy metal there? Well, it's a small town, like outside of a some, somewhat of a bigger city up north. So I was, but still, Denmark is very small. So it took me like twenty minutes on a train to get to the next big city, and it took me forty minutes to get to Copenhagen. So everything was pretty close by still. Okay. But uh, in uh, the little city grew up, Espagia and his own, that there was nothing really going on there. <laughs> All right. So so paint a picture for me of of uh these kids um who were listening to death metal who were a little bit older and, and listening to where the slime live, man. Was that at like a party when you were in high school? It's just like seeing what kind of shirts people were wearing and then kind of going to the library to find out what kind of music you could uh, borrow or rent from there and find based on on the names. So I just saw that logo stands out, doesn't it? So you, you kind of want to find out what's going on with that. Well, that's your introduction to it. Okay. So that was basically it. And then kind of discovering a lot of stuff myself after that. And I also know from some of those other interviews that by age 11, you had started playing guitar and formed kind of a um, an amateur band with, with some other kids in your area. We tried to at least. We all decided we were going to make a band and who was going to play what instrument. The band never took place and uh, it wasn't exactly death metal we tried to do from the from the get-go since none of us thought we'd be good enough to do that, which was true. <laughs> so when would you say was your first quote-unquote proper band um, where you where you wrote original material and, and performed live or, or one or the other? Uh, I must have been 
both seen the first time. I think we put an actual band together where we did original music. It was called Morbid because of Morbid Angel, but we did not play death metal. None of us are very good, and we had some friends that introduced us to punk, and that seemed a lot easier. So we started a punk band that was called Morbid. Okay, and when when you say punk, um, was this like a uh, an underground punk uh, type of situation? Like we're thinking DIY shows and that sort of thing. Were were you into that type of scene? Yeah, definitely. We like the self organized things in a little smaller, bigger town up north, and in Copenhagen and for stuff like that too. And playing at like the school and stuff like that. Oh. Whatever was possible from friends doing things for friends. So very D- DIY, yeah. Okay, now, like I said, I watched some previous interviews you've done, and I know from that, I I watched you already discuss that you at one point actually had a staph infection from a squat where you used to rehearse. Was was that involved with the punk scene like we're talking about here? Very much so, yeah. That was like the main (laughs) venue we had at Denmark. It was a little bit infamous around Europe and the world of things in general. It was called Ungdomshus, or the youth house. So a lot of people go there, people traveling, and somebody brought in their staff uh, infection, and that was just up there. So oh, man. I got ill. I don't think I did anything. I don't even know who actually had it, but a lot of us just got ill just from being there practicing and stuff like that. And once it got evicted afterwards, my uh, my father used to work for the police, and one of his co-workers were part of evicting that house, and he got a staff infection just from being in the room, too. He got, like, uh, boils. Wow. Down by his uh, his nails, his little uh, wounds or whatever he had there, just from being in the room. So it was pretty. Uh, it must have been a strong one. <laughs> I don't really know how it works. It certainly sucked, though. That is a pretty amazing story. It's very death metal, but also very cautionary. Um, it, you might want to get some yeah. some Lysol wipes for your your squat, your punk squat, uh, if if you're out there listening. So, and you, this last, it took about six months to get rid of this, and you had scars from it, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I had, like, uh, I think at, at the worst time, like, 30 boils over my upper body and my arms or something like that at the same time. So, it just felt like you, I just had a constant fever because of the infection all over. It just would not let go of me. So, this sounds very serious, like it could have been life-threatening. I guess the theory could have turned to blood poisoning and stuff like that, but... I was washing myself down with some like disinfectant thing two or three times a day and stuff like that, and I had to change everything every time from bed sheets and clothing and stuff like that. Wow! Still, it just wouldn't let go. I think. <laughs> okay, man. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on that. I appreciate you being candid about it. I just thought it was an interesting story. I'd heard you discuss in the past. So, now you mentioned your father was in law enforcement. Yeah, working like a. I don't know what you say in English, but like a sort of detective kind of thing. Mostly behind the scenes of the old age, but yeah, a bit all over. Okay, so what did he think of you performing in like underground punk venues and things like that and being part of that scene? He uh, knew for culture side of things and for, for what music became to mean for me, that it was a very important. He always been very supportive for me with anything I got into, even if he basically thought it was stupid, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome, man. Awesome. Man. All right. I, I just—it's very interesting, man. And we like to get a little behind-the-scenes stuff here sometimes, man. So I—I I, I thank mm. you. I thank you for bearing with me on that side of things. Um, and I understand. That's cool, man. 
right. Now, well, here's here's something I want to ask because we're going to get to this that you you operate your own record store, record label, you you're in all these bands. A lot of our listeners probably tuned in because they're aware of that stuff in the first place. Do you have an experience early in life with a record store or a concert or a festival? Is there something about this entrepreneur and entertainment um that you can trace back to your childhood in some way? Some some place you went or some experience you had? I don't know. I think the only thing that's ever really interested me has just been music. And as soon as I discovered death metal, that was just the peak of what I thought was the coolest. I never wanted to do anything in life. I remember even as a kid in the school when you get those first questions like, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And people want to be firemen and astronauts or the president or whatever. I didn't want to do anything. I just got super sad because everyone else had dreams. I just <laughs> did not care. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Luckily, I found music. And that was just led me to where I am, I guess. Wanted to play an instrument, never because I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be the one that picked up chicks because I played the guitar. I just thought it seemed super cool to play music with your friends. And I wanted to play that music. I thought it was extreme. That made me feel something. And I thought that was awesome. I wanted to try that myself. Um, and then as you get involved with that, I guess, who hasn't dreamt about having their own record store? It seems if you're well, if you're a music enthusiast, who want to just who didn't want to just work with music all the time, and thankfully they're not being a, a possibility down the line. But it certainly has been a long way to get to that, and not something I really thought would happen until I kind of pushed myself into it or got pushed into it. Huh. But I do remember when I was a kid, there was a little record store in the the, the big small city close to where I live. I was like half. Second hand, half, uh, lots of bootlegs and stuff like that, live recordings and demo stuff from all sorts of uh, underground and extreme music bands in general. That was called Dr. Dizzy. And going up there and being able to find all these different cuts that you didn't find in the other record stores from the bands that you were interested in and how cool that was. So it's kind of fun being able to take that further, I guess. The, yeah. I don't know. I think I'm confused myself now. No, I, I, I'm following, man. the The idea of bootlegs has always fascinated me. Um, to to this to this day, but especially when you're a kid and you kind of like it doesn't <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make sense that it's not an official press, but it exists. You know, you don't you don't really understand. Um, you said something though that I really identify with when you're in school and all the kids are saying they want to be a fireman, they want to be a doctor, and you're like, I just want to, I just want to hang out and keep listening to Carcass and Terrorizer. Um, but at the same time here, we are, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, age you, but I, you know, I'm, I just turned 40 this year, man. And I doubled down on being in death. I, I, the way I put it now to people is it would be the midlife crisis if I stopped now with, with all my death metal bands and everything. And, um, something we told, we, we had Chris Basile of Pyrexia on recently, and he talks a lot about carrying this underground music, uh, as a lifestyle throughout your whole life. And it's a community and, and all that sort of thing, man. So I imagine you've probably found the same over the years you know that it's it, it doesn't you, if you don't make a career out of it you know i'm sure you've had day jobs and slugged it out and all sorts of type of work before you were able to open your record store well yeah it's not something that you just do so right definitely, i worked as a i worked as a janitor at a, at a college for pretty much 10 years before i went full on with this hit too and all sorts of other stupid things because that's what we all do isn't it Something where you don't hate yourself while doing it in your daytime, and then you can afford to do the things you love. 
Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not going to call him out. But one of my oldest friends in the underground metal scene here on Long Island, New York, is um, uh, in the the the, gen, the custodial staff at a uh, a local university. Man, and and the job's been very good to him in terms of being able to perform music on nights and on the weekend. I'm, you know, I myself, my day job isn't very um, glamorous, but I, you know, it allows me a lot of time off to, to do what I do with the music and that sort of thing, man. So I think that's, that's, it's funny to hear you say that because, um, it's an international thing. I think, you know, this idea of the blue collar death metal. Pretty much. But I'm interested in what you're doing. Are you a movie star or something like that? What's the glamorous lifestyle of, of big will? Uh, yeah. I, the, the very glamorous lifestyle of, um, uh, well, we we won't we won't get into to, to we won't get into my pockets, man. But uh, trust me, death metal has never paid the bills over here, is it? Well, here's here's a question. You've toured the states. You you I obviously you obviously interact with a lot of artists internationally. How is it for an underground death metal band in in Denmark in Copenhagen? Would you say compared to the states? Because the states it's very difficult, and I know a lot of people will say that the states is the more difficult market to make. You know, compared to maybe Canada or Europe. So how is it in Denmark, do you think, compared to other countries for underground artists? Again, it's a very small country and everything, So, but I guess in a way things are supportive, but you have to do everything yourself. It's not like in Sweden where you get paid uh, rehearsal rooms and get money from the state to do artistic things. We, we don't get stuff like that, so it's not that different from what it is, I guess. But also, being from such a small country and speaking about America in comparison, growing up with TV and radio and like that, America is like the big dream. That's like, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So it's always, it's cool to play in France. It's cool to play in Great Britain. It's cool to play in Spain and stuff like that. But you wanted to play in America. That seemed like that was the, the big thing you could do. So we always just really wanted to try that out. And thankfully, we were able to do so through several tours in the past. But it's also all been thanks to networking, networking, networking. This was what I wanted. So I just I was talking with a lot of people and thankfully there were some people that believed in what we were doing and trusted enough to help us out. Usually we've been going out on tours in America with friends as it turned into eventually, but other bands that would help us out with backline and uh, and van either rental or they maybe owned one. And then we could do something similar in return from over here, perhaps around Europe and stuff like that. So all like the trade. But it's been from playing Mexican restaurants in front of two people uh, at a corner and, and sleeping on the, on the floor and stuff like that. Like everyone experiences in America, where compared to in Europe, a lot of the time you see a little bit of a different treatment. You might not necessarily get paid very well, but there's always accommodation and uh, food and drinks as a part of things where you're a little bit more on your own in America, it seems. That's... No, I think I confused myself and lost track again. But... No, you, you're, <laughs> you're doing great. You're doing great, yeah. man. You're doing great. Uh, because, I, I again, I follow you. Um, and this is what I've heard. You know, again, I haven't, been, I haven't had the chance to really operate outside of the American market in terms of playing live with my bands and that sort of thing. But I... I I, I guess you're right. Sometimes I forget that we have a little bit, uh, we're a little spoiled here in New York, being so close to New York City, because the entertainment, as much as this is underground, 
the entertainment industry and access to the venues, the population, the um, the promotion, all that sort of thing, it, it, it is a big factor in this, even if we're, we're underground metal bands, you know? Yeah. I could imagine. Everyone want to go through uh, New York. So I'm sure you get a lot of options of very cool things to see there. Yeah, I'm I'm about an hour outside of New York City in the suburbs here. And uh, like I said, we're a little spoiled, I guess, sometimes, man. You know, sometimes um, people in other parts of the States will drive three or four hours just to go to the, the same concert that we could very easily see. But uh, I, I want to kind of steer it back a little bit to... to um, you know, we talked about your first your first band and some of your early experiences. Um, I want to get you know into your bands that people might know you from a little bit better nowadays in the store and that sort of thing. The, the last thing I really want to cover from your background, I got it. I got to shout this out. I know that your first concert was the American band, The Offspring, was it not? Yeah, that is true. Yeah, uh, listen to The Offspring. Well, their, their first album was big for me as a kid, man. I'll admit that on the podcast, man. We could still be death metal and, and admit the offspring. I, 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 I didn't follow their career trajectory closely after that. Um, but what, what was that like? How old were you when you saw that? And was that like a just the power of the live music event as a kid? Did that like change something in you? I was excited for what it was, but I was 11 and I thought it was... <clears throat> very cool with my dad and one of his girlfriends and it was just well obviously because I was a kid okay uh, I don't know if it really changed anything it was just the first time and it's a band that still hold dear even if it's not my bread and butter you listen to a lot of different stuff you can't listen to death metal all the time if you do you're a liar <laughs> you, that sounds kind of cool man offspring concert um we're we're gonna have on the podcast coming up uh, soon a local two local friends of mine a, a father and son team who frequent a lot of death metal and metal events here on the island man it's just something interesting an, an interesting connection there man um my dad and I go to ZZ yeah, Top cool. whenever we can very cool but uh, enough about me uh, in Long Island let's get back to you in Denmark there tell me about. No, because the the store. Where is the store located in Denmark? Is that in Copenhagen? Yeah, it is in Copenhagen. Yeah, I've been at this location we're at now, which is in central Copenhagen, for two years in January. Before that, we were three years at a different location, a little bit more sort of outskirts, at the hated shit island called Amma, which is where I still live. It's excellent, but it is built on the old. Uh, garbage uh, disposal so it's the the island part of Copenhagen their Kalama is uh, built on trash and feces so you you live on the glamorous island on the outskirts of Copenhagen um appropriately enough on garbage and, and feces I mean this is kind of like this is like the most death metal like literally death metal interview that we're going with you have you have you have some stuff going on is the Copenhagen area where people move to perform music and to join bands and to be part of the live music circuit in Denmark? Was that maybe why you moved there? Oh, absolutely. This is where everything was going on. The venues were here. All the interesting things seemed like you want to, again, 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 again. It's a very small country, so you want to be in the capital while things are going on. Mm -hmm. and there was a lot more options. You, it was here I went to see shows. It was here eventually I went to go to record stores. It was here I met people that were more like-minded. 
from where I grew up. And the people from where I grew up who was into sort of the same stuff moved into Copenhagen. So that's what you do. And I did that when I was 17 because I wanted to be close to music. Got it. Okay, so now we know that you got into Morbid Angel, where the slime live. Obviously, it gets a little more underground from there. Um did you have like formative concert experiences once you moved to Copenhagen? Was were you able to see like gore grind and brutal death metal bands live? Was was that was that kind of a switch, or, or had had you already experienced all that before you moved there? Not much. Grind has never really been much of a thing thing in Denmark, so it was mostly something I knew from recordings. We get all the bigger bands go through on tours, but in the late nineties and early two thousand, not a lot of bands went through here on tour. They kind of quit. Before that, so you mainly got some of the bigger stuff, and the the Danish bands would play eventually. But they were all a lot of them were really weird and kind of stuck off, which I never really liked. Which was why I think when some of our friends show like punk shows too was a little bit more appealing to me because it wasn't the same kind of rock star attitude, which I really didn't like and didn't understand. Because before we were all just having fun and just sharing what we love in extreme music, and I didn't really see that a lot from a lot of the Danish musicians in the established bands not even necessarily in all of the established bands just people playing they always seem to feel like they were a little bit better than everyone else which mm. i could never get behind because we're all fucking losers <laughs> i try to act like you're something cool but you're not okay man um yeah i was you know i was gonna ask you at some point to maybe get into more obscure danish bands from yesteryear that you would recommend it sounds like maybe there's a little bit of a of a um, a coldness towards some of the, the bigger Danish bands of yesteryear. Well, a lot of them also just seem like they don't necessarily have the time for what else is going on, all the newer things going on now. But mm. at the same time, I think a lot of the, a lot of reasons why a lot of the Danish bands didn't make it further than they did was because people were sitting around waiting for for the call from the label, from the booking agency, from the promoter. Like come and play and not necessarily doing all the the work yourself, which is the very much in contrary to what I've always been trying to do here. Because if you just expect somebody else to hand you the fun gigs and the rec re- uh, the record contract and all of that, that's not going to happen. So you have to just get out there and just play all this stuff, organize a show yourself, just do everything to to show you exist and help each other along the way. Somebody helps you with something, you help them in return. And I didn't really feel a lot of that when I was growing up from the, the bands playing at that time. But that's not saying that there wasn't any good things because there were very cool death metal things going on in Denmark at the same time, starting a little bit later than some of the other countries, like 92 and 93. But that is still before my time. So I missed out on that. I only just been able to discover that since then. All right. Um... Fair enough. Ma- mandatory Danish question. How big was the shadow of Merciful Fate and King Diamond over your generation? Because you're from a bit of a younger generation than than obviously that, that primary fan base. Well, yeah. Uh, what this is, I think it's still just something we can rely on. So you might have a lot of various good death metal and pop bands or whatever in Sweden, but... We still have the king of Denmark, don't we? <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. I love it. 
And uh, something something I, w- I wanted to comment that you said before, too. Uh, I, you know, uh, just speaking for myself and maybe some of, some of my friends, um, but I think, I think there's a larger perception in the States and in other countries that in Europe, you guys just get checks for playing death metal constantly because in the 90s, a lot of these Swedish bands, like you mentioned, and I, I think maybe some of the Norwegian bands, I'm not sure, but I knew though there was a lot more government sponsorship of the arts that extreme metal bands were able to enjoy um in some of those countries but i guess you know denmark just kind of gets lumped in with people's minds like you guys are getting you know studio studios paid for by the government and all this sort of thing too man but you you know you're really not like you said not necessarily it seems like it was a lot easier in the more northern uh brethren countries compared to denmark at least but it's still an option if you put it in the the work for it, I guess, but it's uh, it's it's not been the same thing, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And at the end of the day, you know, that's the word work. It's um, you could be you could be ten times as talented as another band, but if they put out the work and they get on the road, uh, that's that's who's going to be in people's ear. So talking about bands now, like I said before, man, people know you from Frenolith. They know you from um, uh, 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 I'm going to say. Uh, un- Undergang, is that right? It's called Unagang. Think of it like two ends. Unergang, Unergang. Okay, that's that's the, that's probably the best I'm gonna do. Unergang. Um, they know you from totally maybe Wormrod, Wormridden, maybe uh, as a visual artist who's uh, done logos and cover albums, uh, cover art for many different albums, not only of your uh, your your bands and others. W- what? Take me back. When do you really kind of start with all this, and what's your first avenue? Do you arrive in Copenhagen and immediately form a band? Is it the Killtown Death Fests? Is it doing art for bands? Like, what's really your foot in the door when you when you establish yourself in Copenhagen? It's kind of weird to think of and weird to talk of, I guess. Uh, when I first moved in here, I was not in a good place as things were. I didn't really socialize a whole lot and uh, a lot of time I was just sitting at home listening to music or going off for some shows and stuff like that but didn't do much else than that and I'll just be drawing and playing guitar I'll be writing on the music I wanted to play and I'll be doing a little bit of various mushroom shaped skulls and stuff like that picking up with what I used to do when I was a kid and leading to doing some show posters for various things going on from the time there and doing logos and demo tape artworks for friends releases and stuff into finally making my own band that's when we started on account in 2008 and uh from there i was well i was just excited to do more death metal there was not really a lot of stuff like that going on all the time so it was a lot of shows we organized well i organized for Onagang to play and eventually leading into founding the Killtown Death Fest with a group, I think it was like 10, 15 people at first when we started that festival. And we just wanted to come up with some some silly moniker for saying, like, we're from Copenhagen, we play death metal. There is this punk festival going on, and this punk scene going on that called themselves K-Town Punk. So we said, well, let's just turn that into Killtown Death Metal. So we just said, well, we're on a gun, we're from Copenhagen, we play Killtown Death Metal. Trying to make our own kind of brand thing with whatever that was, with whatever it was we were doing and then starting a festival and i suggested we should just do all all death metal 
and to focus on all the new bands that came out at that time, especially in Scandinavia and stuff like that, and then just say it's Killtown Deathfest because we play Killtown Death Metal. This is a, the home for the new little league of uh, death metal in Scandinavia. Hmm. And well, you From say, there, I guess you go ahead. I, I no, it's not well, not to interrupt, but you said something. You said like the kind of. Uh... The, the newer generation, maybe, of Scandinavian death metal. Because when people say, you know, Scandinavian death metal, they might think of some certain classic bands, old school bands, bigger bands that are still around. Um, and, that you know, we still have, we, we have that with New York, too. When you say New York death metal, people think of suffocation and pyrexian internal bleeding, as they should. But there's a newer generation. There's a newer crop with kind of a different sound. Do you think the traditional Scandinavian uh, regional sounds... Like with with the age of the internet now having come come and going, like is that like not really a thing anymore? Because you you know you guys don't really seem to have a traditional, what we might call a European sound, melodic sound, or something like that. You guys are more like straight up brutal with with most of your bands. Very sick. I like hearing that. But no, I don't think we're specifically. Well, that's not really a Danish sound. I think mm-hmm. at least it didn't used to be, and uh, not necessarily specifically. European either or Scandinavian. I think it's just an influence of everything else going on. And just loving the genre as a big international thing for what it is. And incorporating all sorts of various influences you have from that. And things outside death metal too. Okay, you pick my interest when you say things outside of death metal. Um we could go a lot of we could go a lot of ways with that, but what are what are some of your personal favorite favorite areas to explore outside of death metal in terms of music i always listen to a lot of uh meat puppets and ellis and chains and stuff like that but also i think that various musicals music scores from various horror movies and stuff like that has given inspiration for certain things along the way too but yeah i mean Growing up in the 90s, you still get a lot of rock stuff like that there too that has uh, influenced me before I found death metal. So that is still with me. I still listen to a lot of Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and stuff like that too. Yeah. And all the darkness from stuff like that too. What's going to have an influence, as you can probably hear in some of the certain things that we've done with, especially Onagon, I think. But also with newer Sequestrum, where we try to do a little bit more of a Susma kind of thing with a little bit of the 70s rock thing mixed with Cargus, let's just be honest. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, there's, yeah, there's a there's a lot there, and you you mentioned, um, if I got it right, Sequestrum, right? Yeah. There, now, Sequestrum, which you you explained, um, maybe a little bit of Zisma influence with that rock, but it's very, it's also very kind of sewer, um, and uh, now with all these bands you're in, what? What are some recent releases from, like, I guess from this year? Like, what what are you what are you promoting now? Because I know um, with uh, Unigang, you've had you've had uh, recent splits um, that you, that you put out this year, but the last actual album wasn't uh, what was that? Two thousand nineteen. Twenty, but yeah, so long ago already. Yeah, but well, you did do splits with Anatomia, Cadaveric Incubator, and a few other people since then. You guys stay pretty busy with the splits. Yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, I I, I think split releases should be a personal thing. At least I'm not going to dictate what other people can do, because it's also a good way for one band's fan base to 
experience and other bands fan base and share like that but i think it for me it's a bit more personal i like it for be where there's a connection between the band so it's like a friendship shared and joined in one piece of vinyl or cd if it's a longer thing um so yeah i think i think it's a cool collaboration between people that like and uh do things together so usually it's some someone we played with before some people we know for a while or Something, some, a band we're working with, other things on. I think I got out of hand here then. But yeah, uh, <laughs> we. I don't want to do like albums too close to each other. I think it doesn't give the album enough room to breathe and people to appreciate and get into it. If you do an album like every year, every two years, I think that's, I think that's too soon. Mm. So we just wanted to do some smaller things in the meantime, so people still know you're there, but it's not going to be like a full album listening experience whereas like a story you want to tell which is longer i think an album should be or could be so instead we just do little stabs in the meantime and then a few years down the line you then get another story mm. so we're working on a new album but we have two other smaller releases coming before that with onagan and a new album coming with friendlith and we have a new ep coming with sequestrum in january so Got that's it. a thing still man Okay, I just want to keep people up to date because there's a lot to go through. And we talk about Frenolith. You say there's a new one coming out. Um, it was just last year you guys put out, uh, is it pronounced Chimera? Yeah, that'll do. Chimera. I don't even know what to say myself. Um, yeah, on uh, Nuclear Winter Records, the people I looked that up, that's the most recent of many uh, Frenolith releases. And a band, I mean, you guys have definitely been get, getting out there and getting some press. Um, uh, obviously, Unagang seems to be getting a lot of attention, too. Tell me a little bit about Frenolith, though, because that seems a little bit more on the cryptic kind of, I, I don't know if I would say old school, but more mysterious, darkened type of death metal. You know, not as not as much in-your-face gore grind influence. Yeah, definitely. It's a little bit of a, well, the risk of sounding like a negative thing, a little bit more of a pretentious approach, I guess, to make it a little bit more, like a better words, intelligence, sort of black and death metal kind of thing. Something a little bit not as knuckle-dragging and uh, aggressive. Yeah. Some more atmospheric without losing the aggressiveness, I think, with just soaking it in reverb or whatever. But it's just a different approach and a different way of writing death metal with some other people that I really like because I like to expand friendships with doing a band together. Mm. So you do something different than just hanging out or go to shows or work together or drink beer or whatever. And the band was started after Simon, the main composer, guitarist, vocalist, and friend of the besides myself. And I play in a band called Mold. And that kind of fell apart. And I had a new friend in town that was a drummer who really wanted to start a band with me. And uh, eventually when I quit the other band, it made sense. We could start a new band. And I asked him, Simon to join us. And he's then been composing the music pretty much since with me adding things here and there. But it's also, it's not me writing that music. Well, that's why it'll sound a little bit different from, say, Onagang, which is a little bit more of my love child. Uh and we've just been trying to see what could make sense down the line through. I guess we've been playing for 10 years now as well with huh. Friendless. So that's been going on for a while. Wow. The album 
Chimera was released two years ago now. It was recorded in 2019, and the band kind of fell apart. When they're on a hiatus, we got rid of, rid of the drummer for some personal reasons that did not work healthily in the band anymore. And then we just wanted to figure out if we still wanted to do the thing or if we just quit altogether. But we decided we still felt like there was something to be told and created, and we enjoyed playing together. So the bassist, Jacob, and Simon, the other guitarist, vocalist, and I decided to continue on. And we had our friend Andreas from the local band Chaosian step in on drums instead. And he's been playing with us for the last few years. And we have, I think, missing two songs. We have a third album written at the moment here now, so we're going to likely record next year. Wow. All right, man. And it's a I highly recommended, man. Um, I've, I've been a fan of that band um, for quite some time, man. Back, you know, it's funny to hear you say you've been around for 10 years now, um, but it makes sense because I still think of you guys kind of as like part of the new crop, as you said before, of, of death metal. Um, but with that band also, you know, you mentioned Simon, um, your friend who's in that band. He's also, people can go to Metal Archives. He's he's kind of like a, a wormhole down into a bunch of different projects and bands himself. Um, as our, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll speak to him one day, but yeah, people can, people can look up all this sort of thing, man. There it seems to, seems like you guys have quite a, um, a tight knit, uh, intermingling scene there in, 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 in your local area where there's a lot of different bands with that share members as we do here where I'm from. Oh yeah. It's very incestuous. I was trying to avoid that word, but you said everyone it sleeps with everyone. It's horrible. <laughs> you, and that, that's why you guys got that staff well, infection. You all know it. It's true. Uh, all right. Well, um, uh, now on that note, let's talk because at the same time, everyone's in a, in a, in a, a couple of bands. Everyone's got this and that going on. You guys. Like you mentioned, you're working on the Killtown Death Fest during this time, which lasts for several years, but you're the one that pushes it to the level where you start your own record label. What comes first, the record label or the record store? The label is the most fun. The store is just a boy's dream being able to put into flesh. Mm. And well, the label's been going on since 2011, and the store has only been for five years, I guess, now. Which also sounds crazy if I say that. Could that really be? I think it might. That is ridiculous. But <laughs> it, yeah, so the label is always the most important, of course. Then I just try to help distribute the releases I like and what people request through our channels, be it locally or just, I guess, for the European market. But we also have a lot of people ordering from well, America and Canada and stuff like that. Is it... so I don't really know, but I just want to push what I think is cool death metal. I'm not saying what is right. I just know that what I want to put my heart's blood into pushing, releasing, or just distributing. Now, to keep the store in operation, I'm not asking you to single out any bands, but do you find yourself having to sell bands and releases that you're that you don't really like that, but you know they kind of they keep the money coming in that sort of thing. To some degree, that's just how it is. <laughs> generally, death metal is so small still, so it's not like I, I don't know. There's nothing like completely horrible. Uh, I, I don't I, feel I, embarrassed about anything. 
It's not. It's not a fair question, man. I kind of was kind of a setup question, man. But because I know if I was running a record <laughs> store, well, I, as you said at the top of the interview, everyone wants to run their own record store. But we've talked to a few people. We talked to Timmy from Record Reserve here in Long Island, New York, and we talked to Brett Claren from Journey into Darkness, who used to run None of the Above Records here in New York in the '90s, and. One of the things you find out is it's not necessarily all about just supporting your favorite bands and having your own record collection turn into a store. There's there's some lessons people learn along the way. So I guess what I'm getting at, a little bit maybe more of a fair question to ask you would be, um, did you learn some of the stark realities of running a business and maybe some of the the less glamorous parts along the way of, of operating your business? Um, you know, what, what were some of the challenges, I, I guess I should say? Oh, I don't become rich of this. I can pay my bills and I can live my life and I can do what is cool, I think. But I, I'm also, I'm not really a businessman and I acknowledge that. So I pay uh, an accountant and a bookkeeper to do all the all the dirty work because I was doing that at first myself. But and I, I think I did it right. But at the same time, I was probably, if I was cheating anyone, it was probably myself. But nonetheless, I could still wake up at night and have like a stomach ache and just think... I'm gonna, I'm gonna be caught on as being a fraud. That's gonna be something wrong at some some point. So I just thought, I'll just pay somebody else who does this for a living, who's a professional with that kind of business side of things. I'll pay them to do that side, and then I'll just do the death metal side. <laughs> I so like I've been that. trying to, do, might be a little bit more costly that way, but nonetheless, I just want to, I just want to do it right, and I just want to be able to, to get through. All right, man. And now it's it does sound it sounds like you bring some organization um to the way you run things, but I mean something obviously I'm on I'm on a much different level. This isn't what I do for a living here, but just scheduling the podcast interviews and and being in three or four different bands and trying to get merch made and all it it is a hustle when you're involved in a lot of projects. And I know for me sometimes it can start to lose the fun. Because I, I kind of get stifled with bookings and group chats with my bandmates and this isn't working out. We, the logistics aren't working out for something. How do you manage to try to balance things? Do you ever just have to say fuck it to yourself and just listen to one of your old school favorite records and, and take a night off from things or something? Like, How do you manage from... Because you, you, you undertake a lot, a lot more than me. And I'm sure people ask you, how do you do it? How do you have your hands in so many pots? Like, like what do you do to keep a balance? That's no bananas, man. I'm a mess. I, I do my best, but I know that if I did less, I'd do those things better. But there's too many things I want to do, so everything's suffering a little bit. I do my best. It's, I guess I'll be the main person doing things for Onagan. I'm probably the main person doing things for Sequestrum. I tried to step back with Frenolith and have Simon do a little bit more of the organization of things. And then if he needs help, he, he can say, and I'll, and I'll help, but uh, I just can't be in charge of several bands at the same time. It's just too much if you want to do something. And then the label, which is also that with the store is my, well, it's my living now. So it it comes first, and I need to do certain things for making this work. And then trying to find time for doing art commissions and just doing art for my own projects. And then having a private life at the same time. A festival. It seems stupid, doesn't it? So <laughs> it, it's it's very much of a mess. But 
I try my best, but everything suffers a little bit. But I think people understand. So when sometimes things are not going as it should, be, some someone might be missing some information. They just have to ask, and it'll get it sorted out. But there's a lot of things to be on top of all the time. I just there's so many things I want to do. So, it sounds exhausting, but I can relate to it in my own way, and I'm <laughs> I'm sure some of the listeners can too, man. Um, and I know what you mean because in every like in every band, you know, more or less, there's that there's like that one member who's making up the merch and doing this and doing the the booking and really on top of things, and there's that one member that kind of just shows up and plays the songs and isn't as invested in the logistical side of things. And sometimes we have to play those roles depending what band it is. Like I have a band where I, I have nothing to do with the booking. I have nothing to do with the merch. I just do my part where, and I have another band where I'm the, I'm the one that kind of gets the ball rolling on anything we do. So we, we have different roles in different bands too. That's part of how you do it is there might just be a band where your only responsibility is playing the actual music. And then you have another band that's kind of like your baby. And that's the, you know, that's the one where you're, you're in charge of everything and and you know another thing you were saying though is about the uh the visual art because you also uh is it fair to say you're a painter would you describe yourself as a, as a as a painter or an illustrator i don't know what the correct term would be well that's only pretentious i guess it's just called an artist that will call that will cover things on it all right, we'll we'll leave it at that, man. Yeah, I'm not a well-educated man, so sometimes I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. But a visual artist, like I said before, that's another thing that you can't. It's it's like when you introduce somebody at a party and you say, "Oh, he's a funny guy," and so to say something funny, you can't just turn it on. You can't just you know like you can't turn on making a sick painting, or maybe you can, man. I don't know. Do you have a lot of? Do you keep a lot of reference ideas in case a band you know wants to commission something, so you can kind of pull a few ideas out of the hat? Do you ever get like, I you know, painter's block? I guess you might say. There's no, there are no rules to that kind of stuff. It, it, you need to be in the mood for it. Because sometimes when I actually get down to doing some art, I really like it, and I wish I had more time for it. But then I think, all right, I'm going to sketch it, so I'll do this like two or three hours every day before I open the store. And then I just get busy with something else, and I don't do anything for two months. So it, it's kind of it's very hard to schedule. And at the same time, it's just very hard to force because sometimes I feel like, alright, this is great, I have three hours, I'll just do this now. And it turns to shit, because I'm not in the right mind space for it, I'm just forcing it. And that makes you really sad, <laughs> because you know you could do better. So, it's the artistic side of things. The same if, if you are trying to write new songs, or trying to write good lyrics, or anything creative, you can't just force it. Sometimes it's just there and you do a whole lot. Sometimes it's just not there for a long time. Sometimes it's not there for a short time, and then you get back to it. But there's there's not really any rules, I think. It's all about outbursts of creativity. Mm. I, I, that makes sense. It it does. Um, I mean, I'm getting a sense, like I'm asking you, you know, how do you balance this? How do you, but it seems like it's maybe a little bit more of... Um, being there to let it out. In other words, being present in a way that you can do this. You've centered your life around the bands, around the music, uh, in a way where it makes sense for you 
to, to, to you're there when, when the riff comes, you're there when the idea comes, you've surrounded yourself with the right people to make that happen. So it's not necessarily like, a, you know, some sort, some sort of trick that you've mastered where people say, how do you do it? It's more just you're, you're there and you've there's, cause there's people who play death metal and who love death metal, but you know, maybe because of career, family reasons, choices they've made, whatever the reason, they, they're not there to capture that, and they, they're not there to, to participate in as much as they... There's a lot of people that would love to have a, a few different bands for a few different avenues, but they don't have the time in their life. You've made the time in your life. I mean, makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's all a priority. It's all comfortable yeah. the cost, I guess. <laughs> I get, yeah, I get, it is what it is. without without getting too dark, yeah, because it does come at a, you have to sacrifice some of those things <laughs> that that quote unquote normal people have in their life, man. I know, I know that that part of it too, man. You know, um, uh, because well, because I'm I'm at a point in my life where a lot of my bandmates are settling down with families and starting young families, taking different career paths. So it's a you know sometimes people are leaving bands, bands are breaking up, and things like that. So it it is. Uh, you start to realize that you only have so much time, and what you devote your time to really does decide what you know what tomorrow is going to bring you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not just down to you, Paul. Yeah. Well, all right. So I rather have music than kid. So things are all right. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? As I said, so far I rather have the music than I want to have a kid. So that'll be my, my he, he said it, man. I well, you know, I I, I gotta say, I have this, I have a similar sentiment, man. Um, but you've been very generous with your time here. Like I said, there's a lot to get into in terms of your bands. We have Sequestrum, we have Frenolith, uh, Unagang. Uh, there's also a Worm Ridden, a band. Um, is it uh, Takashi from Anatomia? Did I say his name right? from Anatomia. That is correct. He's a very cool guy. What a legend. Now, I know you kind of started, you brought him over for Anatomia to perform at one of your Killtown Death Fests, right? And that's kind of the genesis of the band? Yeah, I mean, I was a fan before that. And then eventually we started doing a festival and I would love to host Anatomia playing the festival. And they agreed and then uh before that we've been trading music from our bands and various things so it was just a friendship striking up already and then i meet in person and i just felt a certain connection huh. and he was working on, this, on a solo project that we then turned into wormwood that is already 12 years ago and we've done a whole of four recorded songs what do you think <laughs> well, you you the you left off with the festering glorification EP in 2015, if I got it right. Um, I guess yeah, I recorded I, two years. Ridiculous, isn't it? Well, I mean, you, there's there's a little bit of space geographically between you guys. I you know we understand, and you got and you 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 also have other priorities. But let let me put it this way, because this whole interview, I've kind of been trying to wrap my arms around all of these bands that you're in and promote them and give them all a little bit of time. Maybe you could explain for the listeners for 2023 what they should keep their eyes and ears on from your bands um, and your projects. What's what's coming out? Who's going on tour? That sort of thing. All right. Well, 
Speaking of worm written, I know both Takashi and I still have some songs written in sketches that we need to get sorted out. And we've been talking about trying to do an album, which I would love to do, but eventually down the line, I guess. Besides that, with Onagang, we have 10 recorded songs right now. We're going to do a seven-song EP coming out next year. We have a friend doing some artwork for it now because I can't keep up with everything. Huh. And then uh, we have a split LP CD coming with three original songs on there too. And friendly um, they're working on trying to write a new album and that hopefully we can record next year. We're going to be playing some shows in America in April around the Metal Threat Festival. We'll be playing some shows with their congregation on the East Coast in, I think, Worcester, New York, and Baltimore, maybe, or something like that, in, in April before that. Mm. And uh, Sequestrum has a new EP coming out January 27th on Extremely Run. And then we're going to try to do some more shows with that because it's it's a lot of fun. Monogang will be playing our first shows in America again in five years. Mm. We'll be playing the Metal Fred Festival in in April. And we're doing some West Coast shows in July. We'll be doing some East Coast shows in October, which is yet to be announced also. And uh, a one-off festival thing in November. So we'll be coming back more back to America than we have in a, in a long time, which I'm very much looking forward to. Did did I get I it? That coffee is pretty good. Uh, did I get the information wrong? Did, I I th- I think maybe my friend Sam was driving you guys around the last time you were here, or was that or was that mis- miscommunication? Uh, I don't know. I don't know who that Sam person would be. At least okay. it all depends. All right, I probably got some information crossed, man. We'll edit that out so I don't sound silly right there. But um, I'm sorry. Was there this any? Carol Jackson. She was driving us around. What's that? Was it Samuel L. Jackson? Because he was driving us around for a couple of months. So one day. Uh, well, he called us motherfuckers all the time. It's really weird. That's that's just America, bro. That's just that's just how it'll happen. Man. That'll be anybody who drives you around, man. Uh, watch your Uber driver. Uh, very cool. But <laughs> but um, r- regardless, don't let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. Was there anything else you wanted to plug or promote uh, coming up for 2023, or was that it? That's cool, but I also like to say that my favorite Danish death metal band at the moment is called Day Quisitor. They have a new album coming out in January, on the twentieth, and I think everyone will do well in checking that out when it comes out. They're very heavy and very sick. Was that Dequisitor? Exactly. Dequisitor. Okay, man. Well, we we do ask you. We go, now we now we move on to the lightning round real quick before I let you go. That we give everybody. We ask you to recommend one older and one newer release of music by any artist, any genre of music, just something that's from a little bit older and something that's a little bit newer. There's no hard, strict rules, just two pieces of music to recommend. So you can you can pick another newer one besides The Quisitor, man. It's it's okay. Or, or you can stick with that. <laughs> All right. Newer band, then. Well, I know it's your friends and everything like that, too, but still, I think one of the newer records i played the most is probably the... Apex Profane by Miasmatic Necrosis. Mm. I just can't mm. get enough. I I really hope they'll do something new soon. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to work with them, bringing them over to Europe last year. 
And uh, I'm excited to say that we have some plays, we'll, some shows we'll be playing with them this year too. And I can't wait. As for older stuff, I'd say check out some more Danish bands. Uh, speaking of the Quisito, the guitarist vocalist used to play in a band called Fallen Angel. They did two LP, uh, two demos that were released on LP a few years back by uh, Serpent Pulse. Very sick grinding death metal from Denmark. Some of the best you can find from here. Old Danish stuff. Exhaust, Escapism, a demo from 93. Very cool too. <laughs> Exhaust? That's some of my favorites from this country. Yeah, Exhaust. Exhaust. Okay, man. Uh, appreciate that, man. Yeah, uh, I was. I saw Dan, the bass player of Miasmatic Necrosis, a while ago, and he recommended that I reach out to you to get you on the on the podcast, man. So that yeah, definitely shout out to him. Um, they just they just uh, played a show supporting Mortician in uh, Brooklyn, New York, a week or two ago, man. It was it was sold out, and um, it was just with my with my schedule, it didn't work for me, man. But I know that was. Definitely a uh, there were there were plenty of people there, man. They I would have been taking up uh, a lot of space, so they're they're doing good. We were sold out. I assume there was a lot of people there. Oh yeah, man. They they're they're doing big things out here. So yeah, shout out to them. Um and uh, David Mickelson, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know the listeners have wanted to get you on here for a while, so I, I hope they got something out of this interview. Any parting words? Uh, well, first first of all, another plug for your record store. If people are in Copenhagen. Um, let me ask you this. Is there, is there a website or what's the best social media to look at your record store on if they want to come visit and find out if you're open and do you do mail order? We do mail orders. We ship all over the world. We open five days a week and I suck at social media, but my girlfriend is very good at helping me get that covered. Nonetheless, that's a website. There's everything. You'll find us on Facebook and Instagram or whatever. Oh, it's cool, man. Okay, that's extremely rotten, extremely rotten productions. Uh, just for any of the listeners who might be curious uh, and want to look into that more, man. And shout out to your girlfriend for uh, her support, man. That's cool. Um, David, we thank you so much for your time. Any parting words for fans and supporters of what you do and listeners of our show? Well, thanks a lot to you for inviting me on here. It's been very fun trying to answer some questions I wouldn't necessarily think about myself. Besides that, support death metal. Listen to the bands you like, buy their merch, buy their releases, go out to the shows you care about. That's what we all try to do. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. Uh, have a great day, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. It's been cool. Um, I, I, I know, I know, we ended the interview, but with the the reissues that that you do, just one question: the reissues that you do, did you have trouble hunting some people down? Like that's like I mean, there's got to be some people who have totally forgotten about that part of their life, but you're trying to reissue their demo. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super aggressive about it. It's more just of a you come around a way of dealing with it, and you have something that you like. Because I'm also pretty specific with the kind of stuff there is, because it seems like everything just gets reissued nowadays, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of that. But at the same time, as I think it is cool, so I was just very happy to be able to do that. I just had an old mixtape I got from a friend 20 years ago with with the Afterbirth demo on, and I'd just been a fan all along. And then one day I was just thinking, I wonder if they have social media. I didn't even know that you guys were playing and making new music at that time there. I think there was somebody in the store that was talking about you guys, and then huh. I just thought, well, maybe it's worth looking into. And it turned out as it was. And I just tried to reach out to some friends I knew 
who might have some more things in their collections than I did to try to gather things up to make it as wholesome as you could, as whatever I could do with Cody. But it's only because he was actually nice enough to reply to my email when I reached out and asked if there was something he would be interested in. Sometimes, I guess, in theory, it could be hard for doing the compilations of things, which there still are, because a lot of the time people don't save stuff. How much have you saved? You do a little bit of kind of thing every now and then, but you don't have everything. Yeah. And then yeah. you move and you lose stuff. So a lot of things get lost over time. But I think that one turned out cool, though. And as a fan, I'm pretty happy with it at least. And uh, I hope they are too. Me, dude, me too. And I mean, that's something where I could say as a fan too, because I obviously wasn't on. I'm the new guy in the band, man. So yeah, I was really stoked on that. It came out great. Cody and uh, Dave, those guys keep a lot of stuff, man. They have a lot of relics from back in the day, show flyers and all that sort of thing. So, all right, man. Well, yeah. I, I um, I, I appreciate it, man. Not not to keep you on forever, man. But I just had to ask you quickly about that sort of thing. Everything's cool. I put all the time aside you need, man. It's been fun. <laughs> I'm not in a hurry. Funny, I was actually going to uh, compliment his um, his re- his reissues he's done lately as my uh, as part of my my recommendation because like I have like the grotesque confection one and a few others. The dude does great fucking work. Well, yeah, I mean, we're actually shout out to Dave. We we just interviewed him and um, we appreciate his time. We're still rolling. Uh, Dave Gladding, my co-host. If you want to actually just elaborate on that and maybe go into that, because um, because we were going to talk about that. Yeah. So a, a number of the of releases I've gotten in the last few months have just have been uh, reissues of earlier, pre, like previous release things, and the one that that, that I brought as a uh, recommendation is the uh, grotesque infection. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, consumption of human feces demo re-release on uh, on vinyl by you had to get the strength up to say the the title of the the, the release <laughs> yeah it's 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 funny that way but uh, uh we have yeah, a, on, on we have an upcoming guest um and i'm just i'll just say this we have an upcoming guest from uh texas and i talk about their very first project and i had a similar pause before i could say the name of it so be on the lookout for that one but go on dave i'm sorry yeah uh on extremely rotten productions yes sir we just talked a whole lot about that from dave mickelson yeah and i was gonna say like i mean i'm just gonna talk about the release real quick but it's it's a very simple thing to do a like a re-release but i feel like a lot of labels don't get it right like Mm. you don't have to have like a big package or anything like that like this this record is just like it's got the artwork on the front song titles on the back and then there's like a little inlay inside that has like Again, like, like a couple of, of like one side has like a bunch of show flyers superimposed together. The other one has like a couple of photos and like the band information, and that's it. And it's like so many labels can't even get that right. 
but that's all like me as a fan asks for is like give me like a photo or two give me like just something a little like visual sort of something of visual interest in addition to just the music and it makes it it's perfect it's like a great artifact you know so but that's my uh, th- that's my rant They've, he's put out a few things that i've gotten in the last couple of months that all kind of like hit the same i don't know notes nails on the head whatever however you want to uh describe it but uh you know grotesque infection it's a real simple basic kind of death metal thing you know early 90s you could kind of tell like it's probably one of their first bands pretty slow and brutal nothing nothing flashy or anything like that but uh a lot of good riffs what uh, would you think well um i was tempted to say that this is this is one of those recordings where if you're someone who just needs like a I don't want to get too abstract here, but there, like, there's people like me who and you who collect CDs and, and vinyl, and we, you know, we we love all these thousands of bands and stuff. And then there's people that might just have like a hot ten or twenty death metal albums in their collection, and that's all they they want or need. This would be like one of them because this is just so brutal. It's like you could kind of stop here for a lot of of that old school brutal New York East Coast vibe. Um, you know, you know what I'm kind of like. This encapsulates a lot of what we love about upstate New York it's, and New England death metal of that era. And it, yeah, I, I was yes, you're right. It, it does. It's um, you know, I, I think I remember listening to like Eric Burke had a, a band before he was in like Lethargy. I can't remember what the name of it was, but it's like very similar, and it's like it's real basic. Like it, it's you know, like it, it just it hits a lot of of like the keep saying that i don't know what the fuck i'm saying um but like it, it's like it it's it's a like basic death metal but it 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 does the job it, it it like hits all the um the notes of like whatever was going on musically in death metal at the time if you understand me but it's not you know it, it's not particularly interesting like i could see how this stuff kind of got lost in the mix until recently but uh you know it, it's good stuff does that make any sense? Yes, and I I definitely hear you. Are you actually because I'm looking up? We interviewed Eric Burke for the listeners. We interviewed Eric Burke a long time ago of Sulaco and Lethargy. You talk about Lethargy. I'm looking it up. The only band that uh, metal shot to metal archives. Um, our constant resource here. He was in a band called Matrix Matrixcore. Is is that because that there's not much listed prior to to lethargy, and I'm just trying to I'm not trying to call you out. I'm looking at I'm looking, or maybe as the world burns, or so, I don't, I'm not sure. But no, it, it might be I'm I'm checking now because I uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was listed in um metal archives, but uh, withered uh, earth. He was in withered earth for a little little bit, or or uh, well, it, it regardless um. Yeah, that would be it. Matric, matricore, matricore, whatever. Okay. I want to go where Jesus is and fuck his rotting corpse. <laughs> fucking crazy. Okay, so yeah. I'm, I'm well. Just for the listeners, because some of the listeners like to do forensics on what we're talking about. I'm glad that we were at least able to nail that. And you can go back and listen to our whole interview with Eric Burke that we did a while ago. Shout out to Eric. I, I got to see him when Afterbirth played Rochester at the Bug Jar. 
Um, that was a great show uh, in support of Undeath um, a while ago now, uh, earlier earlier last year. I'll say yeah. now, he's uh, he's such a good dude. Um, but yeah, the uh, but this is like a like to get back to um, grotesque infection. It's like a similar sort of uh, time, kind of time capsule as far as like where death metal kind of was at at the time. You know, um, and it's actually I feel like it's if you look at a lot of bands that are popular now, it's very similar to like, you know, it's like the 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 like the old school death metal, like sort of doom death uh, kind of thing that, that that's popular these days. It's very similar to to a lot of bands that are out these days, just like a little more primitive sounding because it's, you know, so old. It's so old, but you know, it also struck me a lot of these younger bands, um, uh, respectfully, you know, the maggot stomp scene and, uh, the gurgling gorse, some of these younger bands that are celebrating that old autopsy and so on and so forth and getting dirty with it again. This is the, uh, the nugget that people might be looking for if they're, if they're trying to dig back and find some of the artifacts, um, that, that kind of predate this scene and maybe what this scene is trying to get at. And I say that respectfully towards the younger bands that are kind of influenced by this sound. This is definitely one of those bands that when you go on your little treasure hunts, um, is, is really worthwhile, man. So, uh, we, we've been, we've been on this one for a while, Dave. I think that goes to show how special it is for us, man. Um, I, uh, any, any fine, any closing thoughts on grotesque infection? Uh, yeah, I, I just want to quickly point out that the guys in the band, like really stuck with death metal and grindcore, And like, they're still like, like Eric Wilhelm, the guitar player, he was in uh long running, Buffalo grindcore band Avulsion for a few years. Okay. And then he did a project called the Galvin Wilhelm Miller Quartet, <laughs> which is like really off the wall bananas, like experimental grind. Uh, and I don't know if he's doing anything these days, but uh, those are some, some bands of note. If anybody wants to, to check out any more like Buffalo bands. And then the, uh, the bass player, Russ Martin is in a, is currently in Anthropic, which is a a, a, a currently active uh, Buffalo uh, grindcore band, which they're really good. I think they've actually played New York a couple of times in the last year or two, but uh, they're a solid band. If, if anybody wants to check them out, absolutely do so. And uh, I think that that's all I have. Excellent work, Dave. I appreciate that, um, uh, bringing that to the podcast for the listeners right there. And I'll add um, quickly, if people are, uh, obviously people know where to go for the vinyl, Extremely Rotten Productions, that's what we're talking about. Um, and we did talk about a little bit about his vinyl releases when we had Dave on a little while ago. Uh, but the CD discography of, uh, or compilation, I should say, of Grotesque Infection was also put out by CDN Records of Canada, and we spoke a little bit about Grotesque Infection and some other death metal of the region and timeline when we had Cam Schwartz of uh, Growl, the death metal documentary, and so on and so forth on the podcast a while back. We had him on. Uh, big shout to him. Great guy. And he he gave us a little bit of lore behind the scenes on that kind of like Canadian, uh, far upstate New York scene back in the day and crossing the border to go to shows back in the day. That was a great interview. Shout out to Cam. Uh, maybe we get him back on it. And I know that he also is somehow... 
I believe he does merch for Grotesque Infection. There's official merch and re-releases by Grotesque Infection that people can, uh, if they look up Cam Schwartz and Growl the Death Metal documentary, I, I don't know if he's still doing that, but that's another little uh, nugget for, for people listening to this um, this recommendation. Yeah, I think um, he either he or CDN, I think, are doing like a big, like a, a lot of merch for like that, that like sort of Buffalo area um old bands like grotesque infection is one of them and um i the rest of them are are, are, uh blanking but i think it's it it might be sort of like a like a to fund the uh his death metal documentary a little bit like he's they're like selling merchandise of old buffalo and i'm like i'm i'm assuming that like if if i'm wrong there uh shoot me but um (laughs) I, i think that i think that's why they're there's like you know i think i oh i I bought a, a disgorged hoodie, so they're or not a hoodie, a long sleeve shirt. So they're selling disgorged from Buffalo uh, shirts, grotesque infection, and a few other bands that I, I can't think of off the top of my head. But um, there's definitely if, if you Google like the Growl death metal documentary, and then just sort of like navigate around a little bit, you'll find where they're selling all these shirts, and they got some pretty cool, uh, like super duper old school uh undergrad death metal uh band shirts they're you know cool designs and everything like that so definitely check it out yeah man and there's for people you know just people who aren't from the area the upstate new york and canadian connection there um that whole scene and you know massachusetts and area you know areas of new england that is a whole different scene than long island and new york city back in the days but in some ways like you talk about disgorged and this grotesque infection release we're we're recommending um there's a there's a slam and a groove oriented death metal connection there. I will never deny the influence of suffocation and pyrexia and IB like I'm always talking about, but upstate New York had hit had its say in the conversation. Yeah, it's it's different, but it's the same. Yeah. Kind of, you know. Yeah. So I'll say with no further ado, uh Tom, happy new year, Tom and Justin behind the scenes as always on Heavy Hole Podcast, my production team. Let's ring in the new year with a little bit of um, grotesque infection, and I'll say it now too, Dave, the consumption of human feces. Thank you, because I can't say it apparently. It's okay, Dave. You, well, you didn't want to say it, but you did, and that's the important part of death metal is, is listening to things that are uh, uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I, addressing the uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say that I was. I had a laugh when I was like reading the uh, the album title because I was I was thinking it's like all the all the the various things you know that, that people write lyrics about, and especially like in the early '90s, I think it was very into like the satanic thing, and even like the the gore thing was more about like zombies and shit like that but then these guys were just kind of like you know what we should write about eating poop <laughs> that's where that, that's where it's at <laughs> well there's a weird thing because as funny as that is you're kind of onto something because there became this thing with the death metal scene 
I'm wondering if maybe it was like feeling every, every you know, it kind of started with Cannibal Corpse and Chris Barnes really going there with some of his shit, you know, but like it did evolve into like just like, you know, like look at the band, Cop Premises, our, you know, local band. Um, you know, you can look up the definition of that. There's this, uh, or Waco Jesus back in the day had some interesting t shirts and album covers. There's like it became a gross out contest in some yeah. ways. Um, I don't know, but on that note, my recommendation, uh, speaking of, of death metal being about things that make you uncomfortable and a gross-out contest and all that sort of thing, I want to talk about Sarcastic from Brazil again because there was a time uh, a while back in um, the first season of Heavy Hole Podcast when I talked about Sarcastic's uh, Corpse and Decomposition EP from 1993, which was released on 7-inch by the um, kind of cult Brazilian gore grind label uh, Rot Rot the Ness Records. Um, this now I want to talk about the macabre human mutilation full length from the year two thousand. Uh, this was released. There was a compilation of both of these releases that I just mentioned from two thousand fifteen that was put out on. Uh, Mutilation Productions, you can look for it. Hopefully you find it. Uh, shout to Metal Archives again all day um, with the resource for a lot of the information you're hearing on this podcast. And um, this macabre human mutilation full length uh, from the year 2000 by the band Sarcastic. It was on Millennium Records. Um, good luck finding the original if you can find it. This is, to me, it's, first of all, when I talk about Uncomfortable, the album cover, a lot of these Brazilian gore grind records and South and, and Central American gore grind albums of the time period and even of today, they really uh, em- embrace the real life gore element, the real life gore photography element of gore grind. Um, and yeah, that, that that's absolutely like a like a crime scene photo that they have as a photo as, as a as a album cover, which was prevalent. Prevalent and still is, but I feel it's a little bit more underground now in this day because in this day and age, people have to promote things on streaming platforms and social media a lot more just to just to hang and be part of the scene. And in the old days, you could kind of compete with whoever else with your real gore album art in the, you know, uh, underground scene of of doing the mail and the photocopied zines and, and that sort of thing and the tape trading scene. Whereas nowadays with the internet, you literally get can get censored pretty quickly with some of these these album covers on social media and streaming platforms. Um, yeah, on a, the, the, the YouTube link that you sent me for this album, the pretty much the entire album cover is just like blocked out with like the black bars. And, you know, but, and you're right though, like whenever in the nineties or something, if like an album cover like that was, was uh, they reviewed it in like a, like a, a photocopied zine, who cares? You know, like the, the guys, yeah. would, you, you have like a, a poorly photocopied copied image of the, uh, the album cover. And it's like, if anything, it would, if seeing it, you'd be like, Oh shit, that's a fucking awesome album cover. I'm going to check that album out. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's hard now with all the, the corporate uh, owned social media, and websites and stuff you can't really it's a little harder to get that kind of shit out there it is and i have my own feelings i think as i've grown older um about the use of real gore and that sort of thing in one of the very first episodes of the podcast uh going back a few years where we had adam rotella of anal birth on we discussed the use of real gore photography 
uh, in death metal and gore grind releases, and um, we we had we had a few episodes where we talked about that sort of thing. So where I'll go with this is that um, uh, as conflicting a conversation as it can be, and I encourage the listeners to email heavyholepodcast at gmail dot com or leave a voicemail. The number should be in the description wherever you're listening to this. Uh, or at heavyholepodcast.com, leave a voicemail with your opinion on the use of real gore photography in releases. Um, we, we encourage you to to, 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 to make the call, uh, and, and we'll be objective and, and air your opinion too, um, uh, within reason. What I would say about this, this is a classic gore grind record. There is a certain subgenre, I would call, I would call it a subgenre, Brazilian gore grind. And, um, if people heard my interview with uh, Shata Taylor of Orthopedic Cranial Encavement, I did compare that band in some ways to this Brazilian gore grind uh, when I talked about bands like Rotting Flesh and Sarcastic um, uh, Gore, definitely. Um, there's this raw, unhinged kind of low production value quality to it, but also in a way that you feel that there's a little bit more... A lot of these bands in certain songs are ambitious. They're trying to put elements of melodic and even technical death metal, uh, sometimes just one or two riffs here or there, into the context of their gore grind. I feel like that's a big influence of Carcass's mixing of genres in their first few albums. And this band, this is just, it has a lot of nostalgic charm for me, this this sarcastic release, because it's so raw. And, I, you know, another thing about this, the main vocal style used is this kind of creepy, uh, high-pitched goblin, uh, uh, like vulture voice um that is used in gore grind a lot so, again like carcass but they do break out the pitch shifters and the gross vocals at times and it's just there's something about that where they hold back on the pitch shifter but when you do hear the pitch shifter it's very obvious i feel like it might be from that that original boss pitch shifter harmonic pedal the blue one that's very famous that adam used to use um it's it's so honest pitch shifter vocal from a pedal like there's something about this that's very honest it's from 2000 but it's very honest late 90s gore grind it's not from a laptop it's uh it's not ironic it's just this is this is raw low production value gore grind that is very ambitious in its scope um and and there's a certain charm to it that you're just not going to get from other releases so I'll, i'll leave it at that dave uh any thoughts uh yeah, I I definitely did enjoy this. I'm not as uh familiar with the like you said like the the Brazilian uh gore grind. So it kind of took me a couple of listens to kind of get get into it uh and sort of like really enjoy it. Like it's like I I'm I'm more used to like the I guess like the the European stuff like the Polish and uh and Czech bands and everything. They're a little more like straightforward and kind of uh, brutal and heavy uh you know like whereas like you were saying like there's a lot these guys sort of they're not like a technical band but they do kind of throw a lot of curveballs in like they they're you know like like it sounds like uh, you're saying oh you're listening to some like carcass worshiping gore grind and then there's like like you said like a weird melodic part or like a you know like a, a guitar solo or something like that that's like you're kind of like huh i wasn't expecting that but uh you know, it. 
I think I, I need to dip into the, uh, the, the Brazilian scene a little bit more because I'm, I'm not that familiar with it. But uh, these guys were, this was a very good uh, introduction into it. I would definitely give these guys like more of a listen. I, I think I probably listened to the, uh, the other EP that you were talking about earlier, like, you know, years back when you first uh, recommended it, but I need to revisit it because it's not a, uh, I don't remember much about it, but these guys, yeah. A lot of uh, like proper Gore Grind song titles and stuff. <laughs> some, some good ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's that, I would say Brazil lymphatic phlegm is a is a Brazilian band that falls within the gore grind spectrum that a lot of people know nowadays which is rightfully so they're a great band that I've always loved but they do something different from everybody including a lot of Brazilian bands so it's like you can't really make they're not really indicative of the Brazilian gore grind scene I'm talking about even though they're the Brazilian gore grind band a lot of people know cuz they're just on their own page they do their own thing but there's this other scene of bands like this that I'm talking about. I would say Rotting Flesh and Gore kind of also fall within this this threshold. But there's many more, and it's it's a, it's, its own scene. Just like you have the Czech scene and the Polish scene, and there's certain bands that have their their own sound. Regions that have their own sound. Is it Rot another band from Brazil, or are they? Yes, they certainly okay. they they are. And despite the name Rot, they've always been more of the social political commentary. Uh, yeah. part of grindcore, which is interesting. Um, but their their early releases, and that's the thing too. They they have a similar charm where some of their, especially their early releases, there's that overt brutality and raw production. So, um, yeah, Rod definitely is. I, I wouldn't say that they're like like these because these bands I'm talking about use very disturbing imagery, straight up cult gore grind, and I would say they maybe. They might dip a little bit further into the carcass discography than some of our favorite European gore grime bands because of their yeah, use think, of, of, of of lead guitar work and things like that. I'm sorry, Dave. Oh, no, I was just going to say that like I only uh, brought them up because it was they were a band that I was trying to think of when I was talking. Whereas, like as far as being like a, a band from Brazil that I was familiar with prior to hearing this album, but they don't they they're not particularly like similar. Uh, musically like you know as far beyond like just both being like grind bands from brazil yeah i mean brazil you know there's a lot of music from there. there's a lot of grind and a lot of death metal i mean if you want to talk about brazilian black metal we could be here all day and i don't even know the half yeah. of it myself um but we are going to talk we are going to begin to unwrap uh some of the releases of sarcophago and some other cult black metal bands from brazil in future episodes i i should say uh we have plans but yeah yeah again i'm like so i'm not trying to say that all brazilian grind bands or gore grind bands even sound like this but there is a certain specific um uh bubble of bands that i always kind of you know that 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 maybe flesh grinder is another one i would say there's there's something about brazilian band, gore yeah. Grind. yeah you know um, so this is this is uh, as good a place to start as any, I would say, if you want to try to explore some of the cult 90s Brazilian gore grind that I, I get into uh, a little bit on this podcast. Any any closing thoughts, Dave? I think everyone should check it out. I mean, especially if, if you're down with the uh, with the carcass thing, you know, I, I'm like less of a fan of carcass. I think that a lot of people, but, you know, these guys definitely do it right. A hundred percent, man. So I'm going to ask Tom, a uh, big shout out to Tom, to bring in our first Brazilian recommendation 
of 2023 of the new year. The band Sarcastic with their 2000 album Macabre Human Mutilation. Thank you. Okay, man. Uh, the sarcastic, classic Brazil. If you want to go, if you want to go down that Brazilian gore grind wormhole, Sarcastic is a good band too because they were around for a long time. They had they have some releases that were pretty old school. Um, and uh, Rotting Flesh, another great one that I've always had a lot of affinity for. Maybe we'll get get into them in the in the future. Um, Dave, I don't know if you remember this, but a few months ago we cut an intro and outro with with album recommendations for an interview with Dave Mickelson that we didn't use. Do you remember that? I think I do. Yeah, it, uh, it was a while ago. Dave? The, yeah, no, yeah. no, I, I, I vaguely, I feel like yeah. I, I, I do vaguely remember like he, like doing something and then just kind of like, I'm not around to see, have the the episode pop and it never did that's because big shout to dave as we explained when we interviewed him today um uh it was a little bit of back and forth with me and him over the months he's in a lot of bands i'm in a lot of bands he runs a label in a record store i don't so the guys the guys even doing crazy crazier more shit than me so long story short uh there was a lot of pin um uh racquetball back and forth between me and dave to finally line this up so what i'll say now is the Patreon listeners, uh, you can go Heavy Hole Podcast at Patreon.com are going to get the um, the album recommendations and some of the banter from from what we cut that day. Uh, and we're going to also continue to offer you uh, extra content throughout the year, um, ec- excerpts from some of the interviews and some of the, the content that we do here, and uh, bonus episodes. Um, getting into that Long Island black metal a little bit, too, uh, as we go through the future. Um, and as always, you can check us out on your social media of choice. Uh, message us, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail, and um, we we will uh, play it within reason, and we'll, we'll share your recommendations or whatever you want to air out. If you have a topic you want to talk about, leave us a voicemail or a email uh again our guest dave mickelson of extremely rotten productions and uh una gang i'll say and um all of his other projects we wish him the best and thank him for his time dave i thank you for your time joining me today thank you for having me man it's always fun 100 percent, man looking forward to uh we thank everyone for their support in 2022 going into 2023 now happy new year to all our listeners um and we wish you the best, man. Uh, appreciate everybody. It's hard to believe. We've been doing this for like almost four years now, man. And big shout, Happy New Year and all that to, to the rest of the expanded team. Of course, the OG team, Tom and Justin, behind the scenes, as always, working hard for you, the listener. And uh, Sam Sherrick, Rick Habib, the, the Staten Island uh, doom metal Don over there. Um, Terrell Granham coming up soon. Uh, we, we're going get, to get down and dirty on some other Brazilian uh, metal with him. Uh, and, um, of course, you, Dave, and uh, we, we might even throw a couple other people into the mix coming up soon, man. Uh, what, what's your dog doing? Your dog got plans? Thankfully, she just shut the fuck up. I don't know what the <laughs> hell she's doing, but she's she's not barking, so. All right. Does your sure dog. She's, like, eat, eating something. All right, man. You what's know, up? you got to get some of that Purina one. <laughs> 